Right, if you will, let me read this passage of Scripture, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 10 through 20. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owners to, this, to his hurt. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a, child, a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. Here's what I have seen to be good and fitting, to eat, to drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labors in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and, re and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So, if you have been paying attention to this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is examining the hearts and the lives of people in his kingdom, and he's realizing how corrupt, how evil, how under the sun, basically what that means is living by man's means, by man's desires instead of God's. And he's already addressed this issue of money uh, a number of times, actually. But now he kind of circles back to it and deals with the futility of wealth. And now he's even kind of dealing with some of the myths of, of, of being wealthy. So many people believe that wealth solves every problem. Some people believe that wealth brings peace of mind. Others believe that wealth brings security. Others believe that it brings satisfaction. So we're going to, he kind of addresses all four of these. And really what he's coming down to is not just money, but the love of money and greed. And so this is what we're going to look at these myths and see how they can affect us. So the first myth I'm going to look at, we find in verse 10, the wealth brings satisfaction. Does wealth bring satisfaction? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with his income. This too is vanity. That word vanity is something he uses so often in this book of Ecclesiastes. It basically means it's like a vapor. It appears to be there, but it, all of a sudden it just disappears. It's, it's of no worth. And so there's only one thing that can bring true satisfaction. And that's to have a right relationship with the Lord. But for many, they substitute money as their God. They want money to be their, 
they're all in all, that they believe that money somehow will bring satisfaction. They work and they scheme uh, to gather money and to seek some level of security or well-being. And they really conclude that, okay, I've got a little bit of money, I feel good, so I'll probably feel better if I have more money. Isn't that kind of how we think sometimes? Let's just be honest. You know, we, we kind of, from a Christian viewpoint, say this is evil. We know it's not right. But if we're honest, we're just as guilty sometimes. You know, who, who wouldn't want more money? Well, let's kind of make sure that we understand something. Money in itself is not evil. God has used many wonderful people and has blessed them financially. But because they have a heart for the Lord, they become good stewards of the blessing that God's given them financially, and they put it to good work. They, they're very good at donating, ministering with their monies. Uh, they make sure that no one in their family is abusing it, that no one is worshiping it, uh, but God uses it in a powerful, positive way. But it's not just money itself that's evil. It's the love of money. And that's what uh, Paul told Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Here's what Paul's saying. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we can take nothing, uh, anything out of it either. If we have money and covering, with these we shall be content, satisfied. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so here, Paul is basically echoing the same thing that uh, Solomon is saying. It's not just money, but it's the love, the greed for money that is causing the problems. So those who love money become controlled by it. it they, they, every waking hour or their main focus in life is how can I get richer? How can I have more? How can I have this? And so they become obsessed and really money becomes their God. Uh, they may feel some satisfaction. Well, I've got X amount of money in my bank account and I feel good about that. Well, there again, money in itself is not evil. But when that satisfaction desires more, then it becomes a problem. So again, a little money makes them feel good. Maybe more money would make them feel better. But really, a little more only feeds the greed. And so we'll see more about that in a minute. Soon they're totally consumed with their focus on money and they'll never find satisfaction. So Solomon just burst the first myth that money or more money brings satisfaction. There again, having ample money where you don't have to worry about how am I going to feed my family tomorrow? How am I going to keep clothes on their backs and things like that? Having enough does feel, bring some satisfaction. But here's the situation. A lot of people, as soon as they get a little bit, they say, well, that fits this need. I'm satisfied here, but I want more to meet this. And it's really not a need, it's a want. And so here's the second myth found in verse 11, that money solves all problems. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? You see, many people believe that if I have enough money, all my problems will go away. I can buy my way out. I can, I can 
You know, if I don't have a car, I can buy a car. If I don't have ample shelter over our heads, I can buy a house. If I need clothes, I can buy clothes. Well, those are needs to a degree. Did you notice that when I read that passage out of uh, 1 Timothy, Paul only talked about food and clothing. He does not mention protection of roof over the head. God never promises that. Matter of fact, many people in the Old Testament never owned a home. A lot of them you know, lived outside, or they may have had a rudimentary home, but it was not anything to brag about. Uh, but many people traveled uh, for, for, I mean, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, living in tents. So what we look at is that the truth is, those who are in debt, they basically are in debt because they spend more money than they make. That's just a general rule. I mean, if you don't have enough to pay your bills, then you're, out, you're outspending your income. And guess what happens if that same person who's uh, in debt because they spend more than they bring in, guess what happens when they start making more money? They start spending more money and they stay in debt. That's just the mindset that many people have. Well, I just got a $1,000 year raise. Well, I'm going to spend $1,200 more and stay in debt. And so the outcome is basically the same. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have come into wealth almost instantaneously. Uh, I don't know how many times I've read articles about those who win a lottery. I mean, substantial amounts, like millions of dollars and how miserable their life became because of that. They, they don't know how to handle the money because they didn't know how to handle money before they became instantly rich. And one of the things that happens when somebody comes into wealth, they find that they have a lot of relatives and friends they didn't know that they had. People that say, you know, you might not remember me, but I, I helped raise you or, you know, you know, or I, you know, I'm your lost Uncle John or something like that. And you know, now that you have something, you need to help me out. And pro athletes, I've read many articles about you know, guys who go into, you know, make it into the pros. And they've gone from living in households that had nothing. And then they walk into the pros and now they're making a million plus dollars. Well, the same thing happens. Their friends back home, their family members, they say, now that you've got money, you need to share the wealth. And so it becomes more of an issue, a problem, a headache for people who come into kind of that instantaneous money than it is for someone who has gradually earned their way up. So wealth in itself is not a guarantee uh, that all your problems will go away. But it also is not a guarantee for ungodly behavior because God, again, has truly blessed many people with wealth, but he also knows that their heart are, is right with, them, with him and that they become good stewards of their wealth. They use it wisely and godly in ministering to others. So now we look at the third myth. It covers verses 12 and 13. The myth is wealth brings peace of mind. Now let me just put a disclaimer when you have enough to meet your basic needs, there is a peace of mind to know that you know I I I, I could not search around and grow you know, and dig up enough food for my family. We're all hungry, and I couldn't find enough firewood, and we're all cold. 
you don't have peace of mind when, when that's your situation. So having enough for the basic needs, number one, if you have a right relationship with God, God promises it. He will help provide that. But here's the myth that wealth brings peace of mind, kind of like a guarantee. So let's look at verses 12 and 13. The sleep of a working man is pleasant, whether he eats much or little. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. He asks the question, how can riches hurt a person? Wouldn't you like to try to find out if it hurts? <laughs> but that's what Solomon is seeing. Here's the situation. The poor man, the peasant, he goes to sleep. He's eating his meal, and he sleeps fine. Why? Well, number one, he's worked hard all day to earn whatever he has. And so by working all day, he's tired, and there's no problem with going to sleep because of the fatigue. But also, he has no way of overeating because there's just not enough to be a glutton. And so he's satisfied with his stomach. He has enough to survive. And so he goes to bed, and he's able to sleep well. But not so with the rich man. Now, there's really two reasons why the rich man cannot sleep. One is something that we dealt with, I think, a chapter or two back. And basically, Solomon saw that the rich cannot sleep because they're worried about what they're going to do tomorrow to gain more wealth, gain more prestige. Gain, you know, their greed is just working in their minds constantly. So they cannot find peace of mind to go to sleep. But here, he's alluding to that the that the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Well, the rich tend to like to flaunt what they have. So they'll invite people to, to dine with them, and they want to show them how wealthy they are. So they have these elaborate banquets and with all the rich foods. And so being the, the host, they're going to show, you know, they're going to invite the guests to partake as much as they want. And so they're going to lead the way. They're going to eat and eat and eat. And basically become gluttons. And because of that, have you ever, Susan and I, we've chosen to eat an early dinner, usually about 5.30 or so. And that gives our stomachs plenty of time to kind of digest some food before we go to bed. Have you ever eaten a really heavy meal right before you went to bed? You don't sleep. Because your body's busy digesting your food. And you lay there and you hear it go, it's growling because it's digesting. You don't hear that when you're in conversation with other people, but when it's in the quiet of the night, you hear your stomach working away. And so basically he's eating a huge meal, a rich meal. He's a glutton, and now his stomach is churning, and he cannot find rest. Well, what we see here is that whether you have a lot or a little, God can bless you. The rich man does not have to eat a, a gluttonous meal. I mean, he chose to. Nobody made him do it. He chose to because he wanted to show off his wealth. And he wanted to show himself how wealthy he is. But Paul went through stages in his life. He was a, a Pharisee. He was probably a part of the Sanhedrin, probably a very respected man before he changed from being Saul to Paul. And so he was probably in a position where he was fairly wealthy. Uh, we also see that he went through many times where he had nothing. Basically because he gave it away or it was taken from him or he just 
you know, was dependent on others to take care of him. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and needing and suffering need. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. So Paul had both situations, but yet he knew that whatever he had was a gift of God. And so he always knew that no matter what his situation was, he could find peace because he was in God's will. I've shared a quote by John D. Rockefeller probably several times. Somebody asked him, because he was the first billionaire that we know of in the United States. And a billionaire then was unheard of. That's a thousand millionaires rolled into one. And somebody asked him, well, how much more do you want? If you're a billionaire, you're the richest man in the United States. How much more do you want? And his response was, just a little bit more. Greed. Well, that's not the end of that story. Because of his greed, because he couldn't sleep at night, because his stomach was always churning, trying to figure out a new way to make more money, he became a very sick man. He had stomach ulcers. He could not eat. He basically lived off of milk and crackers for many years. That's how miserable his body was because of his greed. And then, in his latter years, he began giving his money away. He realized his greed was not right. And he began being more of a donor, giving to the needs that he thought were, were of a great need. And guess what? All these illnesses went away. And he lived to be, what was it, 98 years old. So, you see the the differences. Even in one person's heart that was a greedy person, their heart can change and God can bless them for that. Well, now we look at the fourth myth. The fourth myth is found in verses 14 through 17, that wealth provides security. You know, let me just go ahead and read this passage. 14 through 17. When those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had, a father, had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so will he return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness and great vexation, sickness, and anger. So we look in this myth that wealth provides security. Well, there again, we look at our own lives and we say, yes, wealth does provide security. I've worked X amount of years. I've finally saved up enough. Now I'm going to be able to retire and continue somewhat the similar lifestyle and on into my latter years. And so we do feel that wealth does provide security. But... Guess what? It can disappear overnight. For many people to, to gain their wealth, they invest in stocks and bonds. You know, they, they make investments. Well, 
What happens when the stock market crashes? What happens when your favorite stock goes belly up and is worthless? I had a dear friend uh, in one of our churches, and uh, he invested in General Motors. And back when General Motors was about to go out of business, was the same time that he was retiring, and their stock became almost worthless. All the dividends that they used to pay were basically pennies instead of hundreds of dollars, and things of that nature. And he was distraught. He had other things to fall back on, but that was one of the big things he was counting on for his retirement. And so bad investments can take away our wealth. So can thieves. You know, the people uh, back in Solomon's day did not have banks. They didn't have uh, electronic uh, deposits and things like that. Whatever they had, they had with them. And so you look and you see, you know, if you get too rich, well, there's always a robber who can come along and take it away. And so we look and we see that uh, Solomon's talking about a man who was rich, but he made bad investments, and overnight it was gone. And he had a son, and he realized, I have nothing to leave my son because of my bad investments. And then here's what Solomon says. He came into this world naked from your mother's womb. That's how you go going to leave. You're not going to take anything with you. Now, a lot of people put a lot of stock in uh, leaving an inheritance for their children. And you know, if you're financially wealthy and you're being a good steward of God's uh, monies and you're um, tithing and giving offerings and ministering to needs as God directs you and you still have money set aside after you pass away and it goes to your children, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there are some people that they don't want their children to have to do anything. They just want to feed them, you know, give them money and let them squander it, which is basically what happens. Matter of fact, Solomon's own son, Rehoboam, who took his place, basically squandered everything that Solomon had. And so basically what Solomon is saying is, you came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave the same way. You're not going to take anything from the fruit of your labor with you in your hand. He said, this also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus he will die. So what is the advantage of you toiling in the wind? Chasing the wind, toiling for the wind, all this means is that you're chasing something that is abstract. It's not really there. Wealth is not really something that you can grab onto. Wealth is different for every different person. Uh, for some people, just, just having two nickels in their pocket to rub together is wealth. They never had that before. For others, wealth is you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But here's what we see. Luke looked at the same situation. And Jesus shared this passage. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. Jesus gives this parable. And he said to them in the parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do? Shall I have no place, uh, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. 
and now who will, uh, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. See, his money provided no security. Does anybody know exactly when they're going to die? You can go on the internet. You can, you can actually go to the IRS and they can predict how long you're going to live. Just by the averages. They have no clue. You can actually go into certain sites and, and give a, a pretty brief you know, idea of your, of your fiscal history. And they can say, well, you just knocked two years off your life. Or, or because you eat healthy, you've added two years of your life and things of that nature. But nobody knows. Uh, even the healthiest person can be uh, killed in an accident. So we have no idea how long we're going to live. But we look at this, and what Solomon is seeing is that no matter what you do, you're not going to really find security in money, in wealth. Your security is in the Lord. He's the one that provides, and that's exactly how he finishes this chapter. Look at verses 18 through 20, a simple truth to follow. Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting. Finally turns his negative into a positive. To eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. For he will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. So what Solomon is saying there, he said, okay, here is what is good and fitting. Here's the right way to look at wealth. He said, basically, if you are in a right relationship with God, living under heaven instead of under the sun, then God will bless you. God will meet your needs, not necessarily your wants, but he will meet your needs. And as you eat, as you drink, and as you enjoy the toil of your labor, because basically God can give you joy in working because you know that you're working as unto the Lord, and he's given you the blessings of the toil of the work by meeting your needs. And so this is good and fitting to toil, to eat, and to drink, and to see all this as a gift from God. See, when we do this, then everything is in its right perspective. Uh, even though he tolls under the sun in the, in the world of mankind that lives according to their own means, he is now understanding that God is the one who gives life to live. And so no matter how many years he has, he really doesn't care about how many years he has. He's just enjoyed each day as it comes. Because it, too, is a gift from God. You know, if, if you sit and you worry about, am I going to die this year? Am I, do I have 10 more years? Do I have 20 more years? You're wasting your life worrying about the future that you have no control over. Sure, we can eat better and maybe be healthier going into those years, exercise more, but God has our days numbered. He knows the number of our days. So what we need to do is live each day to its fullest for the Lord. And so it even says that when we live this way, God is the one who empowers us to be able to enjoy our life. Jesus says, I have come to give life 
and to give life more abundantly. Well, that doesn't mean great wealth. It just means that he will give you joy in the life that he gives you. So, what's the application of this? Money in itself is not the problem. It's the love or the greed for money that it's the problem. Love, uh, money will never satisfy. It will not be the, the source that meets all needs. It will not bring true peace of mind. And it won't bring true security. Those who use whatever level of wealth that they have as a means to provide for themselves and their family and are good stewards of what God's blessed them with will find peace and comfort. They will be satisfied because their needs are met. They will realize that their problems are not going to be met by money, but by trusting God. They will also find that peace of mind is not in their finances. It is in their relationship with the Lord because God is the only one who can bring peace. And they will also realize that their security is in the Lord, not in their wealth. Well, let's close with a time of prayer. Dear Lord, open our hearts again to these truths. Help us to realize it is so easy for us to never be satisfied with what we have, but to always want more. Lord, your, your word tells us that that is greed, that is envious, that's covetousness, wanting more so that we can be like others. Lord, I pray that you'll help each one of us to be content, to be satisfied with what you provide for us, to know that uh, you are the only source of peace, and that, Lord, whatever problems we have, we're not going to be settled by being wealthier, but by trusting in you. And, Lord, it is through that that we find our security. Our security is not what we uh, have, but in whose we are, because we are yours. God, as we leave this place to live for you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.